Welcome, one and all, to Media Sandwich, a very utilitarian meal that crams all the food groups of your favorite pop culture content into a nice stack so that you can have a little bit of everything all at once. And isn't that really just the dream? Uh, I'm Kyle Martinak, and I've got your order ready in the window, so let's start it off with last week's uh, video game news. Uh, to start us off in video games, the biggest headline of the last week was... Let me see here. Hand me that arts and culture section there, mother. Uh, right, the Pokemon Presents uh, live stream. That happened on Wednesday with a lot of new news on Pokemon Scarlet and Violet, including a trailer. We found out that the new open world region is called Paldea. Uh, and it seems to be a big map with a lot of variety to it. And we met two legendary Pokemon, Coraidon and Miraidon. I hope I'm pronouncing that stuff right. But uh, those two seem neat. You can ride them like big living Akira motorcycles, which is, I'm not going to lie, it's a little disturbing to look at since they have wheels and little feet that kind of push you along like uh, like a Flintstones car. But it's something. And it's a way to get across the map a little faster, which is nice in a Pokemon game. Uh, and also, they're, mo they're living motorcycles that can climb up vertical cliffs with their feet, and also one of them can fly. So, that's cool. Uh, there's, a, there's a new kind of uh, crystallizing mechanic as well. It uh, makes your Pokemon take on kind of a gem-like luster. Uh, it looks kind of prism-y to make them look like precious stones and that fits into the overall theme of the game being a uh, treasure it appears to be with uh, the storyline begins with a treasure hunt at the academy and one of the trailer's big taglines was find something to treasure so yeah i think most folks online were most taken with the new pokemon named uh, fido that's doe with a gh because he's a dang bread puppy. He's a puppy made of bread. He's got little croissants for ears. It's great. Uh, <laughs> Pokemon's making me say really weird sentences now. Uh, another good one is Satitan. I think I'm saying that right. Satitan is a big ol' ice whale with feet. So apparently feet are another theme going on in this one. And uh, there's also a new whooper for... Uh, for those of you who like Wooper, I guess. I in, in case you can't tell, I'm not particularly well-versed in Pokemon. I'm kind of Marge Simpson holding a potato. I just think they're neat. But uh, Scarlet and Violet releases on November 18, and uh, pre-orders are already available now. And hey, and hey, if you purchase the game before the end of February of 2023, after the holidays are already over and sales, you know, happen. Probably not a sale on that one that soon, but you can, before February 2023, claim a unique bonus Pikachu not available through regular gameplay, and he's a flying Pikachu. He has the ability to fly, and his, uh, his type is flying. So, hey, not bad, right? Uh, and other less splashy video game news of the last week, uh, let's talk about Gotham Knights. If you know me or you've listened to the show at all, you know that I'm a pretty big fan of the Arkham Batman video game series, and 
This is the latest to, I guess, let's say, take place in that universe. Uh, the game is developed not by Rocksteady, because they're off in Star Wars land these days, but by WB Games Montreal, who did the prequel game Arkham Origins. Now, I went back and I played Arkham Origins again, and I have to say, once the initial abysmal amount of bugs that came at launch are cleared out of your way, it's actually a pretty decent game. I think, you know, it's it's no Arkham City by any stretch, but it's a perfectly legitimate entry into the series. I don't think we should refer to that series as the Arkham Trilogy. That's a fourth one that belongs with the others, honestly. But the new one, Gotham Knights, takes place after Batman has seemingly died in an explosion. Uh, if you listened to last week's episode, you know how I feel about this kind of thing. I, I don't take it all that seriously, and there's probably more than a 50-50 shot that Batman will appear before the end of the game to be perfectly fine. Uh, but the plot of the game is concerned with the Court of Owls, that's one of my favorite uh, relatively recent additions to the Batman lore. I think it's about 10 years old. They, When the new 52 kicked off, that was like the first uh, arc of Batman was the Court of Owls, and I thought it was really cool. And uh, since there's no Batman in the game, you're playing as the, the Batman family. You're playing as Batgirl, Nightwing, Robin, and Red Hood, the Jason Todd Red Hood. And uh, this seems like the final extrapolation of all of those DLC packs from the previous games where you can play as different characters. You know, uh, you got to play as Catwoman in Arkham City. I think Batgirl was in there somewhere. Uh, Robin as well. I, I forget. But uh, each one of them fights and moves differently. Uh, really confusing choice here. Red Hood has been given some kind of mystical powers to enable him to leap like the Ang Lee Incredible Hulk, and that's how he traverses the map. Whereas, you know, Nightwing has kind of a Green Goblin glider thingy, and Batgirl gets the classic cape gliding mechanic from the Arkham games. No word on Robin. They're not talking a lot about Robin when they uh, preview this game. But, yeah, that's kind of weird. Uh, I know that, you know, R Red Hood, because he came out of a Lazarus pit, I guess it's plausible that it gave him some kind of crazy powers, like ghost jumps or whatever. But uh, another cool bit about this game is that you can play online co-op, so up to four people can play as these four different characters at once and be traipsing about Gotham City at the same time. Sounds awesome. Speaking of Gotham City, uh, this is confirmed to be the biggest version of the Gotham City map that we've ever seen in one of these games. Lots of vertical layers to it for exploring and probably for collecting, you know, trophies, a lot of Riddler trophies or something akin to that. And uh, the primary way to get around this map is going to be the Bat Cycle, which is sweet. Uh, I got nothing wrong with that. It uh, seems like... Motorcycles are the uh, the name of the game these days in open-world maps, uh, per Pokemon and now Gotham Knights. But the uh, big thing about this game, uh, other than the fact that it was announced back in 2020, it was supposed to release in 2021, and then it got pushed back over a year. I don't have a big problem with that. Honestly, avoid crunch, avoid, you know, day one patches, avoid all of that crap. 
do the game, you know, do the development, release the game when it's actually done. I don't care if I have to wait an extra year for a game. If the game's actually finished when it releases, then it's worth that extra year, honestly. But the other big obstacle for Gotham Knights to overcome would be, well, the Avengers game, not to put too fine a point on it. Honestly, even the Avengers game, it's really piss-poor results can be traced back to the Tom Clancy's The Division, uh, Anthem, pretty much every other game designed to be the next Destiny, right? The next online looter-shooter, whichever... You know, the, the Destiny killer, which is what every developer wanted at the time. And for a hot minute, it kind of looked like that's what Gotham Knights was supposed to be. Uh, early chatter was emphasizing that this game had a lot to do with collecting gear and loot and... Uh, uh, please, please don't. Please don't do that. But WB Games Montreal released a clip this week via IGN of the first 15 minutes of the game, kind of the, the tutorial mission. Uh, they did it with Batgirl gameplay, even though you can choose any of the four characters to play as, they decided to highlight Batgirl, and it looks fun. It looks a lot more like the Arkham games than than we previously would have imagined, instead of a Destiny killer. Uh, like Less looter-shooter and more kind of detective, puzzle-like stuff, like we remember from the Arkham games, which is great. That's that's a must for me. That's one of the reasons why those games were so much fun was the, you know, puzzle solving aspects. Uh, one thing that does stink, uh, it sure seems like the counter system that made the Arkham games famous successes is gone and replaced by kind of your basic ass Dark Souls wannabe dodge mechanics, which, you know, damn it, damn it, because that... A gameplay trend that I really enjoyed, I really liked it, which, by the way, also made games like Sleeping Dogs, Shadow of Mordor, that whole middle batch of Assassin's Creed games back in the, you know, three Black Flag Rogue, you know, area of games. Uh, that's been completely replaced in the video game lexicon by a gameplay mechanic that I really am ambivalent about. I, I don't hate... Souls-like dodge mechanics and the, you know, one-hit-and-you're-dead kind of situation. I don't hate it, but I kind of nothing it the same way I nothinged, you know, third-person shooters and the cover mechanic where suddenly there were a whole lot of oddly convenient chest-high walls that you could hide behind and, and shoot over the top of. I nothing it, but hey, but hey... Not my problem, really, because they decided to scrap the older generation release of Gotham Knights completely. So, those of you lucky enough to own a PS5 or an Xbox Series S or X, or those of you who have a good PC, unlike mine, uh, you can tell me all about it when uh, Gotham Knights releases on October 25th. I'll be over here playing Shredder's Revenge and Mario Kart with my kids on the Switch. But you knew, you knew, as soon as I said the word Batgirl that I'd have to segue from this mundane video game news to the biggest headline in media of the week. So initially, <laughs> initially I was going to talk about a movie that's been in the news this week, and then this Pandora's box of bullshit just started spilling endless amounts of news with far-reaching implications across the entire pop culture landscape, 
And it's, it's, it's too much, man. It makes me sick. So, uh, Warner Brothers Discovery decided earlier this week that their $90 million Batgirl movie that they developed and shot specifically for HBO Max will be shelved without release. Now, if you hadn't heard about the Batgirl movie before this whole news kerfluffle about it, uh, it was sounded like it was going to be kind of fun. It would be uh, Batgirl versus, uh, at very least, Firefly, played by Brendan Fraser in his blockbuster return. Awesome. And then uh, Michael Keaton was going to show up as his version of Batman that we haven't seen in 30 years. So, sounds interesting to me. Like, he was going to become some kind of a mentor character. But anyways, uh... Batgirl was the one that caught the most headlines from this, but it actually is happening to the prequel to the uh, Scoob movie, the the latest Scooby-Doo feature Scoob, if you remember that one. And then also the Wonder Twins movie that they were planning got uh, axed before they could really do anything with it. They had just cast the Wonder Twins themselves, and the movie got killed from there. So... Very briefly, just talking about movie news aspect of this, the one thing that this messes up is that return of Michael Keaton as old Batman. They were kind of teeing him up to be a multiverse uh, Nick Fury kind of mentor character for all of the younger DC heroes. Uh, apparently he's supposed to show up in Aquaman 2 as well as the Flash movie. And he was kind of going to be kind of bringing them all together in kind of like a DC crisis type of arc, you know, spanning multiple universes, which explains why there's multiple Batmans and why Batgirl doesn't know the Snyder Justice League, etc. Batgirl was going to be his first appearance, and it's gone now. And now his appearance in Aquaman 2 is apparently testing poorly with test audiences because, well, because it's not explained very well, because it's explained in Batgirl why he is here and why he exists. So, to make matters worse, there are rumors that Ben Affleck uh, showed up and reshot the entire Aquaman 2 scene with his version of Batman. Uh, you gotta be kidding me with this. This is this is an absolute cluster. What, what the heck is going on? How do you mess up Michael Keaton's return as Batman. That's something that everybody kind of wants, right? How do you mess it up? How, I ask. But anyway, all of this caused a big ruckus online when Batgirl got shelved, and everyone started looking a lot closer at why. And it turns out it's actually just the latest and most prominent symptom of the Warner Discovery merger syndrome <laughs> that started back in April when the two giant companies merge together. You see, folks, HBO Max has 76 million subscribers, whereas Discovery Plus has about 24, 25 million. And I think we can all figure out why, you know, the kind of people who want to watch Miyazaki movies or The Sopranos or the latest Warner Brothers blockbuster when it's given a same day streaming and theatrical release against the filmmakers' wishes and possibly their contract, but whatever. Uh, the people who want to watch that kind of stuff subscribe to premium streaming services, because that's where they get that stuff. Meanwhile, the kind of people who throw on a four-hour block of Property Brothers or 90 Day Fiancé or Guy Fieri reruns, 
for, you know, either for one of those patented ass magnet Sundays or just as background noise while you're cleaning the house, those people, the majority of them, don't need a premium streaming service because they already have old-timey cable packages with the Discovery block of channels on them, right? So, anyway, the vampires in charge are bleeding HBO Max slowly for all it's worth before chopping off its head so that Discovery Plus can flourish. HBO Max has, just since the Batgirl news hit, they started removing a bunch of exclusive content for HBO Max, produced specifically for HBO Max, just in the last couple of days. And this isn't, you know, this isn't things that are still being produced or in post-production like Batgirl. This is uh, things that have been sitting on HBO Max or its predecessors like HBO Now or Go for years. Things like uh, Vinyl. You remember the show Vinyl? Well, you'll have to only think of it in your memories because it's gone now. So it was revealed over the course of the week that Warner Discovery is actually going to spend the next year folding HBO Max into Discovery+. Plus. That's not the official word on things. The official word is, though, the two of them are going to merge into one new app, a whole new, brand new paradigm for streaming, uh, where all this content's going to live in harmony, and it's going to go to a farm upstate where it can run around and and be with old HBO stuff that never died. But it has been mentioned that the tech stack for Discovery Plus is the one that got a better user reaction upon release, because HBO Max had a lot of growing pains. It was not, you know, it didn't release smoothly, and people didn't like the, uh, the, the interface. So definitely the Discovery Plus uh, tech is going to be the one unified app going forward, is the thing. Somehow, this is supposed to translate into actually an increase, a 40% increase of their total subscription numbers from both apps combined. So the combined uh, 76 and 24, 25, it's, they reported 91, 92 million between the two for this fiscal year or something like that. And that's supposed to increase to like 130 or 140 million subscribers by the end of 2025 with this new move to a, a different app. Uh, you're dreaming. <laughs> you're absolutely dreaming. That's not going to happen. That's not how any of this works. But uh, hey, back to our subject at hand. Why kill Batgirl and remove all these other HBO Max originals like... Uh, American Pickle, the Seth Rogen movie, uh, The Witches, the remake of it uh, that uh, Robert Zemeckis directed, now, all of those HBO Max originals, why remove them if you're going to combine these into one app? You're going to need all that content, right? Uh, well, apparently Warner Brothers Discovery's accounting department drank a case of Red Bull and stayed up all night assigning an assumed value number to every piece of content they had based on the projected future cost and benefit of uh, the, the course of its expected lifetime as a piece of content. So if they fold HBO Max into Discovery Plus, they're looking for pieces of content they can remove from distribution entirely for a tax write-off for based on that, uh, based on that projected uh, value. 
because they need to find billions of dollars in savings in order to pay the bill for the big merger that costs so much and all the restructuring around this new app. And, and that's what's really going on here. Uh, look, I'm not a mathematician or a CPA or anything, but couldn't you get a bigger tax write-off if you released Batgirl on HBO Max? and then instead shelved that $200 million Flash movie that stars a possible actual psychotic and bad publicity cryptid named Ezra Miller? Just a thought, just a playful thought from me. But anyways, the streaming service with the most diverse and prestigious library is going to be gutted because, well, essentially because a gargantuan media conglomerate ate a merely just kind of humongous media conglomerate, and now they have indigestion, and we're the ones who have to pay the price for it. As the end user and consumer of this stuff, it's infuriating. Uh, not to sound too panicked, but we've reached the final result of what happens when we put our faith in streaming video and digital collections only over physical media. Because we don't own this content. It does not belong to us. We are paying a subscription for the privilege of accessing something that belongs to them, and they're just going to throw it in the trash for a tax for a tax deduction. And good luck finding most of these memory-hold shows and movies on any of your other apps ever. They probably will never cross the streams, if you will. Uh, now, okay, counterpoint. Big counterpoint to all of this. A ground. Let's have a grounding presence for a second. People are freaking out about this as if the content does belong to them, which it doesn't. And and hey, uh, if you so desperately want to watch Moonshot with Cole Sprouse, if you remember that one, uh, you you still can. You just have to rent or buy it digitally on iTunes or Vudu or Amazon, like you do with every other dang movie, right? All of that's all of this is true, and it's it's not a dire situation right this second, but it might be in the future. Is my big my big problem, and and also I just wonder how many of those seventy six million subscribers for HBO Max are going to deal with jumping from one app to another, especially when the Turner Classics, the Crunchyroll, the Criterion the DC branded stuff, all those reasons that they signed up for HBO Max in the first place are replaced by all the unscripted slop that Discovery tends to peddle. Because it's, look, it was a difficult launch getting HBO Now and HBO Go users, as well as analog HBO cable subscribers, over to the HBO Max app. It was a rough couple of months to really get the library up to snuff, to get the interface working properly, and also just to explain the, the sales model to those people so that they would become regular users. It was a multi-platform thing when they first announced it, and look, if you're going to go through all of this again just to save Discovery Plus from becoming a steaming pile, wow. Uh, good luck, schmuck. And I say that directly to David Zasloff, the... CEO of Warner Discovery, who has openly revealed all of this over the last week, and he's become a household name overnight by simply saying, hey, none of this stuff means anything to me because I don't watch movies and television. Exactly what you want to hear from a guy who's in charge of a big media corporation that makes movies and television and then makes them available via the streaming services. Uh, gross. Gross person. And gross moves, business-wise. 
And what really, really sucks, think of all the people who are going to lose their jobs over this. Billions of dollars in savings, remember. That's how Warner Discovery worded it in their little presentation this week. But what that really means is hundreds and hundreds of people being fired because the guys at the top really, really wished that more of us would pay and log on to watch more Naked and Afraid, right? And, and, and also think of the filmmakers who signed contracts and made their movie with Warner Brothers in the last couple of years. You know, the ones who had to deal with their movies being dumped on HBO Max on the same day as their theatrical release, thus, you know, messing with the box office numbers something fierce. That happened for the entire year of 2021, and none of them knew that was going to happen. And they, they just had to deal with it. Or, or hey, even the, the filmmakers who made projects specifically for HBO Max like the directors of Batgirl, who had the understanding that it would live there exclusively in perpetuity right where the DC-specific fan base would know where to find it, and now it's getting pulled and dumped down the sewer grate. What a slap in the face to the entertainment industry and to the audience from a big conglomerate that clearly doesn't care at all about entertaining us. They just want to make sure that they're that their projects look good so that they can get a bigger bonus than the one they were already going to get, right? I got really angry, and I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> anyways, more uh, also disappointing movie news, uh, completely separate from all of that. We got confirmation that the Tomb Raider movie series is going to be needing a top-to-bottom reboot again, because uh, only a week or two ago, Alicia Vikander, is it Alicia or Alicia? I'm having name problems again. I don't, I'm sorry. But she was talking about uh, publicly how a sequel to her 2018 uh, Lara Croft movie was being talked about. And uh, uh, then, you know, Amazon swallowed MGM recently. MGM owned the rights to the Tomb Raider franchise and the movie studio needed to greenlight a sequel before the end of May of this year, they decided not to, and the rights have reverted back to the video game owners. And that gets even more dicey, because Square Enix, the video game publisher, is in the process of selling Crystal Dynamics, the video game developer, and the Tomb Raider IP itself to a Swedish media conglomerate called Embracer Group. This is all so starting to sound like a bad episode of Succession. And, ugh, ugh, I just feel like Cousin Greg right now. I am a man without a country. Uh, <laughs> but the results are, Vikander is out as Lara Croft, which stinks, because she was the best part of that movie. Her performance was actually pretty good. I mean, hell, she's an Oscar-winning actress, isn't she? Or something like that? I mean... She was way, way overqualified to play a video game character, and she did it with aplomb, and I'm gonna miss her as Lara Croft. That, the movie itself was a little, eh, but she was good. And now, you know, that's over with. She will not play that character again, from the sounds of things. And there is now a bidding war being held for the movie rights to the Tomb Raider franchise, I can assume Amazon doesn't want anything to do with it because they basically had it with the MGM acquisition and did nothing. And it seems to me that with that, that 2018 Tomb Raider movie, as well as the Assassin's Creed movie the year before that, uh, the Warcraft movie the year before that, I bet nobody remembers that one even existed, uh, there definitely seems to be a cooling off happening with the latest run of turning video games into big action blockbusters. 
I mean, yeah, of course, both Sonic the Hedgehog movies and Uncharted actually did pretty well financially and critically for video game movies, but it really seems like the big AAA game franchises are headed for the streaming platforms. You know, Paramount Plus has their big expensive Halo show, Netflix is doing whatever it is that they're doing with uh, Resident Evil and with Assassin's Creed. Haven't seen hide nor hair of their Assassin's Creed thing, but they keep insisting they're doing it. And, you know, I mean, technically The Witcher is a video game as well, even though it was novels first. But uh, Amazon themselves were even looking at a God of War series at one point. So, yeah, it, it seems like Tomb Raider would be a natural fit for a big, splashy adventure mystery series on a streaming platform. You could do, essentially, Lost. It, it could be like Lost, but with an action-adventure hero at the center of it. Uh, dare I say? Uh, probably not anymore. HBO Max is certainly in need of something with a little bit of mass-market appeal, right? <laughs> um, oh, jeez. But... You know, how about a piece of good movie news to kind of cap off movie news, make us feel a little bit better after all of this uh, this conglomerate shifting nonsense that we've been dealing with? Some uplifting news. How about an announcement from Seth Rogen, uh, who I don't know about everybody else, but I certainly like Seth, Seth Rogen. He's always been a fun dude. And I like him even more now that he's announced this week that his Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles project, uh, subtitle Mutant Mayhem, uh, it's an animated Turtles movie that's coming to theaters in one year on August 4th, 2023. Uh, Rogan and his longtime creative partner and buddy Evan Goldberg will be uh, producing it under their Point Grey Pictures banner. Of course, uh, co-producing it with Nickelodeon Pictures, who owns the right to the Turtles IP, has for quite a while. And uh, he said in his announcement of the movie that it would embrace more of the teenage aspects of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles lore, which, uh, hey, that combined with the really cool kind of street art style logo that he dropped the other day, sounds a lot like uh, they're trying really hard to aim at something like an Into the Spider-Verse for the Turtles, which if that's the case, awesome. And also, if that's the case, they have the perfect director picked out for this. Uh, Jeff Rowe, if you don't recognize the name, you might know him as one of the writers of Gravity Falls. Excellent show, Gravity Falls. Really enjoyed that one. And he's also the director of one of the best animated movies of the last year, uh, Mitchell's vs. the Machines. That's a terrific movie. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. It's very funny uh, it has really great action sequences to it, and it's just gorgeous animation, which, in my opinion, that's something that we've been missing from the animated versions of the Turtles for a number of years now, is very sumptuous animation style. The last two versions that were on Nickelodeon have been... Uh, what do I say? Uh, not Just not my favorite animation style or character design style the there was one that was very kind of flat and computer e it looked very much like the clone wars you know kind of just shapeless and inelegant i would say and then the other one had a little bit more of a throwback uh texture to it but the character designs were really weird looking they didn't look like the turtles to me and maybe i'm just being an old fuddy-duddy about that but I I can't wait to see what uh, what the people behind Mitchell's versus the Machines 
as well as Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg would do with the Turtles property. That's, uh, I'm excited about it. And I just hope, I just hope that maybe we get some good voice acting going on in here. No Chris Pratt's allowed Sivu play. I really would like some seasoned voice actors to be doing these characters, because that was my big problem with the uh, Platinum Dunes movies, the you know, uh, Megan Fox and the CGI Turtles movies was, other than Michelangelo, couldn't differentiate anybody's voice. All of the other ones sounded exactly the same to me. So get some voice actors to do some very different voices to match the personalities of the Turtles that we know so well. But that, anyway, that's, uh, that's the Turtles. That's, that's movie news as far as this week goes. Uh, let's head into comic book news. We don't have a whole lot, uh, Actually, oh no. Uh, oh no, this is turning into a real Warner Brothers and DC-themed episode of the podcast, and I didn't mean for that to happen. But really, the only comic book-related news to hand off is that DC has launched a new version of their website. And the most notable thing is that the word comics has been scrubbed completely away from their identity. DCComics.com is now DC.com, and the word comics has been removed from all of the official social media handles and account names and whatnot. And, yeah. Yeah. No, I understand. I understand DC is much less of a sequential art magazine company uh, as much as they are now a big multimedia powerhouse. You know, video games, movies, TV, whatever. It still kind of sucks. Because a couple of generations from now... And no one will even know that these characters came from comic books originally. And I like comic books. I want them to stick around. I don't want the medium to die. But anyway, the new site is live. Uh, It had some opening night jitters for the first couple of days. Like uh, there were reports of how a DC Infinite login attempt might kick you out to an error page or something like that. Not not great considering that's a paid subscription. That kind of sucks, but... You certainly won't miss any of the uh, announcements of the wonderful DC content coming up, like, you know, Sandman. Don't don't forget about Sandman. Or Black Adam, or, uh, you know, Shazam 2. (laughs) They've got big, big banner ads for all of the upcoming TV shows and movies. You will miss out on the one for Batgirl, though. possibly all the other delightful DC content that's been on HBO Max, like Peacemaker and Harley Quinn. Who knows if those stick around? But we're getting back to that again, and I get away from it. Uh, (laughs) Okay, another thing about comic books. Uh, Speaking speaking to last week's episode, let me put on my my Unsolved Mysteries voice. Update! Uh, per some comic book pages that I've seen since I released last week's episode, it's definitely pronounced Namor, the Submariner. Uh, evidently, some folks thought over the course of the last, you know, several decades, there's also a uh, misnomer that his title was the Submariner. And that's, uh, I, I didn't even think about that. I figured it was Submariner, but I couldn't get the name right. But uh, it's funny, comic book writers like to have fun with this kind of thing and on occasion give like a didactic panel or something where somebody says it and it's spelled out phonetically. I think that's funny. But yeah, name pronunciations in print-only media. What a boondoggle. I haven't had this problem since I read the New Jedi Order novels when I was a kid with the, uh, the Yuzon Vong race. Remember those? No? 
eh, you're fine. But uh, let's round things out with some television news. I mean, we kind of did TV and movies together, right? Uh, those kind of went hand in hand with the, the big news of the week for both. But, uh, I mean, we're not getting any bigger news than that, but I don't want to just make this the HBO Max episode of the podcast. So let's do some good news. Uh, good news first, uh, Keanu Reeves is going to be in a thing. That's always good news. He signed on for the Hulu series that's based on one of my favorite books that I've read in the last few years, The Devil in the White City. If you haven't read this book, it's uh, really cool. It details two very big things that transpired at the same time in the history of Chicago. One is the just jaw-dropping and awe-inspiring uh, 1893 World's Fair, which, I mean, read the book. It's just a feat of engineering and architecture and, and creativity that America had never seen before and arguably hasn't seen in this form since. But uh, the other big thing that happened was the rise of one of the country's most cunning and terrifyingly meticulous serial killers, H.H. Uh, Holmes, who uh, used the World's Fair as his hunting ground and built his big weird puzzle box of a murder house right next to the fair grounds. So the book, it's, it's great. It's so impossibly detailed and researched, and, but, but it's never dry. It's very... Uh, gripping thriller kind of style of narrative but backed up with a whole lot of really good research uh it's kind of like somebody you know mashed together american psycho with uh with a ken burns documentary but the series has been in the works for years with martin scorsese and leonardo dicaprio producing it and it's uh keanu's first television project if you can believe that so I imagine it must have a really good script or a really good pitch or something because he's not really a paycheck-only kind of dude. So whatever would bring him to TV, it would have to be, you know, something really cool. I could not find confirmation of if he's playing uh, the serial killer H.H. Holmes or the World's Fair architect Daniel Burnham or anybody in between. Those are kind of the two, well, uh, protagonists, if you will, of, of that story. Uh, but the beauty of this casting is that I think he would be pretty good as either one. I could see him as Burnham, definitely. I could see him as Holmes, even, although we haven't seen Keanu play a bad guy for very many things. And hey, another surprising triumph in the world of streaming television that I wanted to touch on. Beavis and Butthead are back, Buttmunch. After Paramount Plus dropped a little sequel movie in which the MTV idiots go to space and fall through a time portal, which I gotta say, just a really convenient and appropriate way to get these guys into modern times without having to age them up at all or explain why, you know, it's been suddenly 30 years and they're still like 15 years old. Just, you know, it's funny and it worked as kind of a, a movie bridging the gap between Do America and the new sh the new episodes that they've just dropped this week on Paramount+. Plus. By the way, Beavis and Butthead Do America, watched it the other night, totally holds up. Was surprised at how well it held up. Great movie. Uh, but, um, yeah, so there are new episodes of Beavis and Butthead that landed on Thursday. And they're actually really good. If you enjoy the original show, that is, you know, you'll definitely like the new episodes if you were into the show originally, which uh, the big thing is that Mike Judge has had to walk this tightrope 
of updating Beavis and Butthead without changing a single thing about them, right? I mean, it's we live in a different world than we did in the mid-90s, and Beavis and Butthead, you know, they were very crass. They said a lot of things that you just can't really say anymore, not just on TV, but in society, regardless of whether or not they're idiot characters who we're not supposed to identify with. Uh, there are things that they did and said that are uncool now. So Mike Judge has had to walk this tightrope of kind of phasing out things like that without compromising the characters and, you know, who they are. Uh, I'm talking really cerebrally about guys who are named Beavis and Butthead. But bottom line, in the new episodes, we still get the narrative stories where they, you know, they go on adventures around town getting into dumb situations but dig this, we've got kind of updated ideas of what those adventures would be. There's an episode where they think they're trapped in an escape room. Uh, and the punchline is that it's really just like a public bathroom. And I think that's brilliant. I think that's kind of a brilliant thing because it captures exactly what an old episode of Beavis and Butthead would be while still putting it purely in a modern setting. And there are others like that. Like at one point they go to like a farmer's market. Which wasn't a thing back in the 90s, but it is a totally normal thing now, and the two of them going to it makes perfect sense. That's something that they would just wander into, right? And hey, if you really didn't care about the narrative adventures, you still just liked them watching and roasting music videos, they're still doing that too, with new music videos, including a BTS video, which is hilarious, because we find out that Beavis is actually a K-pop fan. I love that. I think that that's very charming and funny. But uh, they also joke over the top of TikToks and YouTube clips, which is, you know, pretty cool. You start to realize now in this foul year 2022 that Beavis and Butthead were kind of the first guys to do reaction videos. That's what they've always done, essentially. And that's a strange thought. But... Uh, I think it's great that Paramount Plus is dropping this. I think if you have the stomach for the really stupid humor of it all, check it out. Uh, Mike Judge seems to have really found a new burst of creativity just in the challenge of bringing something so specifically 90s into a modern landscape. And I'm, I'm glad that he's done it. I'm glad that he's having fun with it. I like seeing Mike Judge have fun. Um... Now, speaking of that, they keep threatening to do a King of the Hill reboot, and I just want to put my two cents on this now, before anybody else, you know, can claim this. Uh, th there's no other way to do a King of the Hill reboot in the post-Trump, post-COVID, though we aren't really post-COVID yet, are we? Uh, Post-January 6th, post-Disney taking over Fox, post-post-post-post-post-world that we live in, there's no other way to do King of the Hill than to age up the King of the Hill universe and let Bobby Hill be an adult. Let Bobby Hill be a father. Let him be the primary character. Let him be the titular King of the Hill. If you center the show on the kindness and the zest for life and love that is Bobby Hill and let him react to the mean-spirited, ugly, hopeless world in which he's expected to raise kids... I just think that that's kind of the natural progression of what King of the Hill was really all about back in the day. And 
you could definitely still have Hank and Peggy around as kind of the clueless boomer grandparents who try to offer sage advice as if they had any idea what the hell they were doing as parents and adults back in the olden days. Uh, I am worried about what a King of the Hill reboot would do to absolve conspiracy nuts like Dale about their bad actions over the last couple of years in America. That's my only real worry about it, but... Other than that, I don't see a problem. Uh, it is sad that we won't, we would not have a Luann and Lucky, because we've lost both of them, and that's really sad to think of, and that's how time works sometimes, and it really sucks. But, you know, King of the Hill, I think, is still ripe for, uh, you know, the, the kind of Mike Judge-like commentary on where we are as a society in America, and it'd be really interesting to see what he does with it, provided that he not center it on Hank, I think. That's my opinion. And uh, and that's all I've got, folks. The, the fries and the drinks are bottomless, but the sandwich itself is finite. So I hope you've enjoyed hanging out with me again this week. Uh, subscribe to the show in your podcatcher if you haven't already. And give me that requisite review so that more people can find the show and listen along. Uh, follow along on Twitter at media underscore sandwich for all the things that we post. Uh, check out the Facebook page at facebook.com slash media sandwich show and follow me on Twitter at Kyle Martinak for all of my opinions on media conglomerates and the guys who run them, who can go screw themselves and, uh, find all the stuff under the media sandwich banner at the fine website, a www.media-sandwich.com. Uh, I've got new comic book picks of the week, uh, out a review of the latest predator movie, prey coming up soon. And, uh, also coming soon to a screen near you, a video for our YouTube channel, where I watch a movie that I impulse bought at the dollar store. Gross. Uh, until then, I'll see y'all next week. I'm gonna go have a sandwich.